welcome to another episode of Everyday Channel. With me tonight, as usual, are my co-hosts Bob Wang. Hello, hello. And Oops All Spells Master, I want to say, Eric Landon. Hey guys, how's it going? Hi, what's up? So we were just watching Eric's stream right before the recording. And Eric, did, did you actually break the, the meta game? Did you break Legacy with the deck that you just played, Oops All Spells? I've been trying. Every time I try, I lose a lot of tickets. <laughs> Oh, but that, there's that one guy, Jax, who like keeps playing and he's like, this deck is He's good. the reason. He's the reason. He tells me, try this, try this, try this. <laughs> I try it and I lose. And then I'm like, I gotta, I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll change this and this and this and then it'll be good. And no, it's still not good. <laughs> right before the, we started recording, we were actually discussing a couple of lines that came up from Eric. And it's so weird how you're playing this all-in combo deck, yet you had the turn one kill and we were discussing whether you should like mulligan that to play around something your opponent might have on a mulligan to five. I think, yeah, that the deck requires a certain mindset and the mindset is make them have it. And if they do, I will, I don't know, one and seven, the GP or something. Yeah, the tools you have to fight back against hate are like minimal because you don't have mana and you and the main purpose of the deck is to get up to four mana. Like, so it's hard to have extra mana, and you don't have lands, so you don't have that many tools to work with in all of all of what's so it's, out there. So it's basically like a strictly verse version of Black Red Reanimator, you want to say? I think so, for sure. <laughs> but every deck in Legacy is right, according to you, uh, <laughs> I would guess. I mean, as far as combo decks, I think, yeah. I mean, I don't call Depths really a combo deck, even though it kind of is, but... Um, yeah, what if you put Force of Vigor in Blackwood Reanimator? Just play a bunch of green creatures and then yeah. beat all the Leyline decks. <laughs> Somebody was talking about that on the Reanimator Facebook page, and they were like, what creatures discussing you play? all you play the like creatures. Like you can't play Progenitus. You're making your deck really bad by to play Force of Vigor. Verdant Force, bring back Verdant Force. Yes. I think there's actually a couple of decks in Legacy that would like be really bad against that. Yeah, that'd be sweet. Like Grixis Delver, what is what are they gonna do against Verdant Force? I don't think Grixis Delver is is much of a deck anymore. Maybe a couple of people still play it, but I mean, if you say that, then it must be true, right? I I meet so many people in Europe when I go to tournaments and we talk about the podcast. They they always ask me about like what you are playing, and ever since you basically broke Legacy with Blue Red Delver. People heavily associate you with Delver decks, even though I think you actually recently told me that you don't even like playing Delver. Is that true, Bob? Well, I, no, I, I, I like playing the deck. I just don't think it's that good right now, despite the fact that like everybody seems to be playing it. I guess maybe it's still the second or third or fourth best deck. Um, and obviously there are different builds of it, but my, my car's license plate actually says Delver, so... Oh, does it really? Oh, you gotta yeah. you gotta take a picture so we can put that on the website. <laughs> I can definitely send it to you. Which kind of car are you driving? Uh, Honda Accord. So if it flips, I get to fly. Why is it not a Honda Civic? Oh, because that's Delver. Honda Civic is Delver. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Honda Accord's like a higher end Delver. Then it's a Delver that flips more. Oh, it, okay. <laughs> I I don't know which cars are more likely to flip. I think there's there's actually a downside. Is it? Isn't it? Anyway, since you haven't really been playing a lot of Delver in quite a while. You switch to, I don't even want to say the dark side. I think it actually feels like one of the good as a non-evil decks in the format right now uh, in Golgari Depth, as SCG calls it, or I guess we would call it Slow Depth. And you did really, really well with it on the weekend. Tell uh, us about I, it, Bob. Yeah, I did. I ended up, uh, I didn't day two the open, uh, but I did fairly well in the open. I think I went six, two, and one. Uh, and then at the actual, or at the classic, which is kind of the runner-ups tournament, I won the whole event, which was pretty sweet. I ended up going, uh, I think, 8-1-1 one, and one on the day. So then overall, my record, I think, was like 14-3. and three. Uh, But all three of my losses, I think I misplayed. 
So I think the deck is excellent. I am not sure if the deck will remain excellent for the next month for the GP, because uh, this has happened before where like Depths was just one of the best decks, and then the metagame, online at least, seemed to adapt for it. So I'm excited to keep playing it, but I'm not entirely locked on it yet. So before we move on and actually look into the deck, um, to us European or Asian listeners, how prestigious is, is an SCG Classic? Like, how many people do play in that? Because I sometimes see it come up, and I, actually, I have no idea. Is it like a 50-person tournament, a 200-person uh, tournament? So this event was 120 people, so it was seven rounds, but it was, you know, just, just short of eight rounds. So I would say, like, compared to a lot of European tournaments, this is probably one of the larger ones. Like, I think MKM is bigger, but there's there's not too many other tournament series that are bigger than that. So yeah, I think it's it's a good size. And it's basically for other people who didn't make the, the top eight in, in on the first day or how does no, it No, it's for everybody who doesn't day two and open, then you get to play in the classic. But legacy classics are only available for team opens and legacy opens. So oh, they don't see, they don't happen every weekend. It's uh yeah, it's probably every other open or so. Awesome. And like you mentioned, you think this deck is really good right now, but you, you're you not locked into it for Atlanta, because I would have guessed, uh, seeing the success you've been having and how good Depth and Shadow has been positioned for the metagame, that this would be like something people would definitely be looking into playing at the GP. Oh no, it's definitely my first choice, but I guess what I'm saying is I've seen this story before, and I think Legacy has seen this story before, where a deck is really dominant, and then people start to, you know, play sideboard cards to beat it and then it becomes less good of a choice so right before or like like during grand prix shizuoka last year it was also insanely well positioned and it did very well at the gp in japan but then in the coming months after that it was still very good and i actually i did end up going 12-3 with it in niagara so i guess it's always been just quite good but it's not necessarily insanely good i don't know uh, I guess the floor for the deck is pretty high, so that's another reason that I'm pretty into it. I think like the worst matchups are probably lands and then storm and sneak and show. Well, maybe maybe lands is really bad, but I think the other two are still winnable, even though they're you know kind of hard matchups. But are people still playing lands? I'm not even sure. Like even Travis doesn't play it. I think you actually played against Travis, and he tried to steal your money. Isn't that true? <laughs> yeah, There's some he like did. word on the street about that. He did. He he offered to split round six, and I I no served him and then beat him. So that felt pretty good. Uh, <laughs> it always feels good to no serve Jarvis. But uh, in terms of what you were asking earlier, are people still playing lands? People are definitely still playing it. It's putting up some results in my metagame tracking. It's it's around like two to two and a half percent, which is it's not nothing. It's definitely like a lot less than it was in its heyday. But it's definitely a deck people still play. And so Dave Long actually he was in prime position to top eight the open. He was ten and one. And then he lost four winning in a row, or one of them was a draw, but he played against lands three times and black-red reanimator once. So he had four winning ins basically, and none of them went his way. So it was kind of a rough tournament for him towards the end. And he also didn't play lands anymore, right? So he played this, uh, this depth version. Yeah, he played, he played uh, the deck I played, Slow Depths. Uh, he was not playing Dark Confidant, though, but I was. And I, I think Dark Confidant's excellent. The reason I play it is it's... It's basically one of these cards where it's like either the best card in the matchup or it's like kind of a liability. It's a liability against Delver, it's a liability against Renin Six, but against other stuff like Tundra and Death and Taxes and Combo, it's insane. So I, I play two, maybe I'll play three at some point, but I, I think I'm happy just to play this card. And sometimes they don't have Renin Six and it's still insane if you get two cards out of it and you don't really care. But I do side it out against Renin Six decks, so. Yeah, makes sense. Eric, how do you like all the different versions? Is slow depth where you want to be, or 
is, for example, a deck that we've seen a lot previously of, the, the Hogak version with Stitcher Supplier and uh, Satyr Wayfinder. That version has kind of disappeared right now. Yeah, it seems like people aren't really playing it. I played that one a little bit. I feel like Depths is in, the, in probably the best place I think it's ever been as far as I can see, because I've played it from time to time, even when other people have said it's good, and I've been like, eh, this isn't really where I want to be. But right now, I think the, the deck... Uh, lines up really really well against uh, almost everything and i'm i also i guess i don't fully understand the nuances of the different decks so i don't really know which one i think is the best but uh, when i played the hogak one i was winning with it and that's like the first time i've been really really winning not like struggling to get three twos with a depths deck yeah it's it's interesting when i played the hogak deck as well i think like 10 percent at best of my wins came from actually casting hogak and most of the time it really was just trying to outplay my opponent with the uh, marit large token and Every time I did that, I felt like maybe we can really cut that and, and play basically what, what Bob is playing, the, the slow depth version. Well, so, so Hogak has some advantages. It basically forces your opponents to sort of respect the graveyard angle. So when I was playing that deck, I, I had also had a, a very, very good run with that deck. And I was like, oh, wow, this deck is broken. I almost, I posted on Twitter that I had said like, you know, one day I think Hogak might get banned in Legacy. But I think I'm going to retract that statement because I think... The all-in Hogak deck is very weak to Chalice of the Void, and then the Hogak Depths deck is very weak to Caracas. So I think there are tools. I think Hogak is a very powerful card. It's like, you know, it's a zero mana, eight, eight trample, but it does have some vulnerabilities. But the advantage of that deck is that your opponents are forced to respect the graveyard angle. So what happened a lot was my Chalice opponents would side in Leyline of the Void, or my blue opponents would side in Surgical Extraction. And against Leyline of the Void, I would usually board out my Stitcher suppliers because they were the worst card. So if they open on Leyline, then yeah, maybe I would have a, a, some Hogax left in my deck and it would be a dead card, but then they also have a dead card because it does nothing against the Depths combo. So there's, there's that piece. And then I also... Like, against Surgical Extraction, you usually can't Surgical Hogak anyways. So I thought it forced your opponents to play bad cards against you, so you could get an edge that way. Yeah, that's definitely a, a big upside. When when you play a deck that has not a super central, graveyard-centric approach to it, but still just enough so your opponent might bring in hate for it, it always puts people like in a weird position. I, I mentioned this with Elves, for example, before, when it comes to strategic sideboarding, where I used to bring in Meekstone when they hadn't had a braid yet, so they would need to bring in something like Ancient Grudge, which by itself is like horrible against Elves, but since Meekstone had such a huge impact, they kind of needed to bring that in, and then a lot of times they just like had the stat card. And it, it's similar when you have, uh, for example, a graveyard angle, while also not fully relying on it. Because you mentioned you would take out Stitcher Supplier, but you can still keep Setter Wayfinder, which which finds your combo. And while it also fuels stealth, it that's like just a bonus that you get on top. So I see the advantages, but I would also gravitate towards this version because I also, I'm not even sure, is, is this version better in the depth mirror? At least I felt like I was disadvantaged when I played um, Hogak Depth against Slow Depth because Slow Depth actually had Sylvan Library or, in your case, Dark Confidence, and those cards actually eventually got me. Yeah, so it's interesting. I think you could build Hogak Depths to be fine in the mirror. Like, the key cards are Elvish Reclaimer and Caracas, so you could play those main. And then most matchups are going to come down to Dark Depths. One additional advantage of Hogak Depths is... You could do something like play three Pithing Needle in the sideboard, which is what I was doing, and then just start needling all the combo pieces and then go for Hogak instead. Oh, that's smart. So I think there is some play to it. I don't think it's necessarily worse in the mirror, but 
Uh, that being said, I think the the depth angle is just the more powerful angle. You get more supporting cards around it. Like you get to play Confidants. You get to play more Abrupt Decay's main deck, which is really important for the Moon Stompy matchup. So I think you just you're just a more focused deck. Basically, it's kind of like what Eric was saying before, where the hybrid decks like win a lot at first, but then once people figure out the best way to attack them, uh, you're usually better off going to the more focused version of the of the deck. One more question about the mirror, because this actually came up for me. Do you side out Dark Depth? Because my opponent almost kind of condescendingly told me after I had beat him that apparently I wasn't very experienced in the matchup, uh, which is true, <laughs> because I, I didn't side out my Dark Depth, and he apparently sided out all but one Dark Depth, and because it's so scary if you run it out and your opponent has a Thespian stage and copies it. Is it something you do, or is it just like some crazy thing no, in the head of so my opponent? No, so that is a relic of the lands days, where in lands mirrors, I 100% agree, you only want one, maybe two dark depths in your deck, because making the 2020 is just, you know, it's suicidal, because there's not, it's not only just Caracas, Maze of Ith, there's just like so many things that like stop it, so that's not what the matchup is about at all. The matchup is usually about life from the loam, so... I 100% agree in Lands Mirrors you're supposed to side it out. In Dark Death Mirrors, it's not like that. You only have Crop Rotation, Wasteland, and Caracas as interaction pieces. And so if you're able to just strip those pieces or Wasteland those pieces, whoever makes the combo first wins. So I keep in all my all my Dark Depths. Okay, okay, makes sense. And why would you play this over the, I guess you would call it all-in-depth version, which also exists? I, I yeah, guess, turbo yeah, depth. turbo depth. I think one of the main differences is they also play four Elfer Spirit Guides, and that's pretty much it, I guess. They probably don't play Confidence in seven libraries. Yeah, they, they usually don't. So that version, I think, is a little bit stronger against Delver. You get to play main deck Pithing Needles, but the problem with that version is it's significantly weaker to lands, death and taxes, miracles, like all the stuff that Dark Depths is weak to, It doesn't really have any supporting cards around. You're playing like these horrible cards like Elvish Spirit Guide or Into the North. Yeah, you have some cards like Not of This World that can maybe steal a game for you, but they're just bad magic cards. Whereas in Slow Depths, you're playing cards like Dark Confidant, Sylvan Library. Eventually, you'll draw enough cards that these blue decks, you can actually just you know, outvalue them and outgrind them. So that's the cool thing about the slow version of the deck is it actually has some inevitability against a lot of blue decks. Pretty, pretty sweet. I think this is actually something I would look into going forward because honestly, I feel a little bit homeless in Legacy right now ever since I... I think the, the last MKM where I didn't play Elves was actually the first MKM in years that I didn't play Elves in the main event. And it still felt kind of weird, but also I don't even want to say liberating because I still enjoy playing Elves and I like play it every once in a while. But right now it's just... When you play a different deck and you see, hey, I don't have to worry about Plague Engineers and Renin Sixes, uh, it's, it's just so nice. And every claim has a really well, sweet Well, you know card. what's funny is those two cards are still relevant against Slow Depths. They're not as punishing, I guess, but they're still you know reasonable cards in the matchup. But that is that is what I kind of want to talk to talk about for our next topic, which is Renin Six and, to a lesser extent, Plague Engineer. We've, we've already talked about these cards a fair amount, but one thing I think we didn't talk about is how the metagame is adapting to Renin 6, and I think it's pretty interesting. So the way I see Renin 6 now is it is a very powerful card in the blue mirror, and it's good against certain decks. For example, Elves and Death and Taxes. But it's become so prevalent, and it's so good in the mirror that, like, in the Delver mirror, it's 
100% about Ren and Six, because whoever has you know more Wastelands usually wins. So these blue decks are forced to play Ren and Six to keep up with each other, but they're not very good against combo decks, and they're not very good against random decks with a bunch of basic lands or that don't have that many creatures. You know, decks like Bomberman, which I guess maybe sort of is a combo deck, but you see my point where there are these non-blue decks that get to almost ignore Ren and Six, and these blue decks are forced to play Ren and Six. So it's a situation like Vintage, where the blue decks are faced to play, play Mental Misstep and Pyroblast, which are really bad against workshops, but everybody, every blue player has them, so you just have to play them, otherwise you'll be behind against the majority of decks which are blue. So I think Ren and Six is having a very similar effect in Legacy, and I think it's making combo decks that don't care about Ren and Six better than ever. And in my metagame tracking, not only is Dark Depths better than ever, but just combo in general is putting up more finishes than ever before. So curious to see if you guys have any takes on that. Uh, I don't know, Eric, if you have any Well, thoughts. I did notice that Reanimator's starting to put up more results. Yeah, and Reanimator's like the combo killer, so it's like if combo's good, then Yeah, Re-Animator's I think Reanimator's good. really good. But I also think it's because people that at like the SCG circuit are finally saying, oh, hey, I think it looks good in this metagame, so I'm going to play it. But I think if they had played it six months ago or a year ago, they would have had a lot of success with it as well. But I agree with you. I agree with what you're saying, for sure. Yeah, a couple of good friends of mine, um, like Will Pulliam, he played Black Red Reanimator. I think Collins Mullen top baited with it. So yeah, it, it, to your point, you know, some better players picked up the deck and yeah, had some that's results. Yeah, exactly what I've been saying will happen. <laughs> so I guess this is the metagame that made people think it's time to start playing it for the reasons that you just mentioned, which are I agree with. Yeah, I I wonder whether Black Red Reanimator has actually managed to shake off that that stigma of being the quote-unquote stupid deck, which I think it never really has been. But when it first came up, people were like, oh, this is black-red version of Belcher or something. And now that that it has actually arrived in the metagame and found its place, yeah. Yeah, I think it's a pretty complex deck. And, and it was interesting seeing some of the different lists that people came up with for the finishes, their top eights and challenges, and then the SCG and stuff in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I definitely noticed when I watch you playing Black Red Reanimator, you're playing this with a very different approach than I would put on, but also um, something very different from what I see local players, because a lot of times local players, they really literally just go all in. They're like, okay, I have this, let's try. And it has more interesting, especially after sideboarding map play to it than I would think. I think we, I ask you this almost every cast, but this is this is still something that you would... This would be your number one consideration for the GP next next month, right? Yeah, I'm going to an MCQ this weekend too that I'll be playing it in. And yeah, the one thing that I will say, I've noticed, so I have like a, a Discord and things like that, and people have said the, the number one thing that's helped them improve from how learning how I play it is just wait. Usually just wait, unless there's a reason not to wait anymore. You know, like uh, Arcanist or whatever against a blue deck. It's like waiting is no longer a good option if Arcanist is in play, that sort of thing. And uh, you you feel really good about it in, in the local meta, in the, local, in the current meta game. Uh, what are you struggling with? Because the way Bob paints out the meta game, it seems to be the, all these Ren and Six decks, which I guess you wouldn't care much about, but then also a ton of Stompy and, and combo decks. I've been beating pretty much everything except for Delver decks, which is funny because historically I've like been pretty good against uh, against Delver decks. But recently, I don't know if it's variance and, and luck or not, but I've been losing to ver- to uh, Delver decks more than I'm than I'm used to. Well, do do you think it's Dreadhorde Arcanist forcing you to go off earlier? No, it's like my opponents have like four soft counters in, in a wasteland or something like that. I actually have changed the main deck a little bit as well, too. I changed it for a while because Narset was a problem, and then people basically stopped playing Narset, and so I've now changed it for... Uh, I've put Elishnorn back in the main deck. I haven't done quite enough tests. A lot of people mentioned how they don't really like Narset in either the Diver decks, the Miracle decks, or the Stoneblade decks, 
Like everybody's been talking about how, how they are cutting Narset, which is kind of funny because like a month or two ago she was all the rage and everybody wanted like three Narsets in their main deck. But yeah, I mean the card it, it gives you card advantage, but it's also kind of slowish and rather hard to protect since she doesn't really do much for that and, and takes down really low. Well, I think too many people just started playing Lightning Bolt and Dreadhorde Arcanist and Delver, so I think that was the main impetus for Narset to to go down, and Karn as well. But now we're seeing, we basically, honestly, we, only two Chalice decks have been putting up big results, and it's Moonstompy and Bomberman, and both of those decks are, are very different, and they're more focused around just getting ahead super early with like a super powerful mana advantage. So that's interesting direction. And I think they're like better Chalice decks too than like Eldrazi Stompy, which is, you know, it, it just does less powerful things. Turn two Thought Knots here, a blue deck can kind of keep pace with that. But turn one Blood Moon or like turn one Mentor plus a bunch of Bobbles, they're just, blue decks can't keep up at all. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Bomberman because I think that deck is really, really good and even better than people think right now. And actually, I believe part of the reason is how expensive it is in Magic Online. I think it's over 700 ticks in Magic Online, and it's the only deck that I sometimes didn't play just because it didn't have enough. Um, well, I've got this sponsorship thing going on where I can always borrow cards up until 500 ticks. And when I don't always have like the extra cards to make that deck. And I guess a lot of people feel the same or they don't even get the deck in the first place because it's this expensive. And I think if more people played it, and if it wasn't so annoying to play at times on Magic Online because of the infinite combo, we would see even more results out of that deck. And if it was up to me, if, if you wanted a recommendation from me what to play right now, it would definitely be Bomberman. I think Bomberman is really, really good. Bomberman, slow depth, this is where I want to be in Legacy right now. And one of the reasons for that being um, why I think Bomberman is so good is that the deck is, like you mentioned, it, it, it puts a lot of pressure on the opponent on different angles. For example, there's the combo take that a lot of people are familiar with where you loop lines of diamond and then eventually kill your opponent with walking ballista. But you also have the beatdown angle. So if your opponent brings in, like, I don't know, Ley Lines or anything that touches the graveyard, you can just beat that by playing turn one or turn two Mentor and running them over with, with your Mentor tokens. Or you go the Planeswalker route, where you quickly accelerate out a Planeswalker, like Karn. I, I saw Mangucci play the other day, and he got turn two Lettuce on the play. <laughs> what is the opponent even supposed to do? There's, there's almost nothing they can do. It's kind of crazy. And on top of that... If you don't go for combo, if you don't go for beatdown, if you don't go for planeswalkers, because for whatever reason that's shut down, you can still grind out the opponent. Given not as good as other decks, but certainly to to a certain degree where it becomes relevant, where you play your Bomberman, your Oriox Savages, and you keep rebuying your bobbles from the graveyard, which gives you like quite a lot of card advantage. And in the grindy mid-range matchups, that actually becomes a thing. So I'm in love with the deck. I really think it's very, very good. Yeah, I think it's a good it's a good deck for you. It's it's sort of similar to Elves. Kinda, yeah. That you you make a lot of things happen, and then you you sort of get a lot of card advantage, and you just have like these big combo turns. Uh, I, I do want to touch on the card advantage piece some more because uh, I alluded to this on Twitter, but Mystic Forge, holy crap, is that card insane. Every time it's been in play against me, it's drawn like three cards for the first turn that they play it, and that's when they have zero or one mana up. And I mean, maybe maybe I got unlucky, but like my experience playing against the card is that card is bonkers. It's more powerful than like Experimental Frenzy because you get the pay one life angle. And I was just been seriously impressed with that card to the point where I think it's a better four mana card advantage engine than Jason the Mind Oh, that, That's a pretty high benchmark if, if you're comparing it against Chase and it comes out ahead. But I agree, the card produces a ton of card advantage. And that's actually even cute stuff that you can pull. For example, if you run into something you think you can't cast, you can actually still cast it using Lion's Diamond. 
which is kind of funny. It, it It's absolutely crazy. And if you get it out on turn two, which the deck can easily do, the opponent doesn't really have too many ways to interact with it. You can't abrupt decay it. Even if you if you revoke it, you can still cast a card from the top of your library. So I guess I can see the comparison to Chase and it coming out ahead because Chase can be at least attacked and taken out that way or pyroblasted, whereas Mystic Forge just sits there and la- laughs and stares at the opponent. So which decks would you like more? Would you rather be playing Moonstompy right now or would you rather play Bomberman? Because Moonstompy also has put up a lot of results. If you look at the legacy mcq that took place two weeks ago well on magic online <laughs> i was trying to figure out okay where did it actually happen uh, it put three moonstompy decks in the top eight and for those who don't know there's legacy mythic yeah. championship qualifiers which are like ptqs and that's a really big thing I, I don't remember how many people signed up for that but it was like a couple hundred at least and yeah our friend rich shea made it all the way to the finals playing moonstompy as well as two other guys i mean that's a pretty good showing from the deck once again, after already having put up a lot of results lately. I personally am a little bit surprised at all the uh, results that it's put up. I've tried it recently because of the results. and I feel like Moon Stompy leans extremely heavily on lock pieces. And so like Moon and Chalice. And if those aren't good enough, then you usually lose. Because if they can, like say, ignore them or replicate them and then counter your threat, you're often just at the mercy of the top of your deck. And you have... And if, and like a lot of the times, if those cards aren't good, you're drawing those cards and they're still not good. So I don't know. I didn't have success with it recently when I've tried it. And uh, I'm a little surprised that it's putting up so many results right now. Yeah, I tested Moonstompy really heavily last week because I was like, oh, wow, it seems super well positioned again. And it has been putting up so many results. And I, 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 like, I think some people know that it's putting up results, but it actually is the deck with the most results since the release of M20. It's about 8.5% of the format. Which, by the way, I just—I also just want to say this is probably the most diverse legacy has ever been. There's only, out of the decks putting up results, only like 55% of them play Brainstorm. So that's also kind of crazy. Usually it's closer to like 70%. So, I mean, we've seen this trend over the past couple of years now where the Brainstorm decks aren't as good as they used to be. And I, I would almost go the other way now where people are asking me what to play. And I'm like, I would not play any Ren and Six decks. And I would not play any decks that are bad against the Ren and Six decks. So if you can fulfill those two rules, I think there are a lot of good decks to kind of choose from. But yeah, I trade, I played Moonstompy and I didn't like it because I, I, I was playing against a lot of random decks. Uh, maybe this is something you guys run to as well because I don't play that many leagues. But I probably played, I don't know, five or six leagues. And I literally... I was keeping track like 20, 25% of the time I was playing against just like nonsense decks. Like I played against Soul Herder, which I saw <laughs> if I owed. I played against, uh, you know, some Alluran decks, which, you know, they're like sort of decks, but not really. I played against Ninja decks, which is again, sort of a deck, but not really. There's so many decks that are like playable in Legacy. I'd say there's like maybe like 20 good decks. And then on top of that, there's like 70 somewhat playable deck, you know, <laughs> Soul Herder. Like it's just, it's so crazy. Yeah, definitely. You know what, to me, the most fun about playing Moonstompy. It, to me, it's not about the lock pieces or, or like stealing wins with a turn one Blood Moon. I just like going turn one Goblin into turn two Goblin and, and racing my opponent really hard because th- that just feels like so good. The opponent is like, ha, oh, I have this and I have that and I don't care about Chalice. I'm like, yeah, well, guess what? I don't care about anything you have. I just attack you for like, I don't know, lethal on turn, but potentially three, I guess, if you get three Goblins. I don't even know. Yeah, that would probably be like the dream. Yeah, you can kill on turn three with, with just Goblins, which is kind of wild. Because you're a, you're a lock beast deck and you can kill on turn three, so yeah, maybe my approach is wrong. You're not playing it as aggressively. I don't know. I felt like I'm mulligan hands that don't have. I don't. I don't know. I haven't played it enough. <laughs> 
that's the main skill with the deck, obviously, and I think that's one reason why Rich was very good at it because he's played a lot of workshops, and it's it's definitely it's all about the mulliganing and figuring out what matters in each matchup. Here's the other thing I didn't like about Minstompy is I feel like most of your matchups are like instead of 50-50, they're like 70-30 matchups. You're pretty ahead against decks like Delver. And against most combo decks, you're pretty ahead as well. But then against decks with Stoneforge Mystic, uh, you were just like so far behind. Against Sneak and Show, I also felt like you were really far behind. Like, yeah, you could maybe win with Ensnaring Bridge, but most of the time it was your lock pieces did literal nothing. Like Chalice, yeah, Blood Moon, Trinisphere do almost nothing. That's what I'm nothing. running into. So, it's like, yeah, my Blood Moon does nothing. I can't play it. And I have to keep bad cards in my deck because I don't have enough cards for like, a Stoneforge Mystic deck. I just don't have them. So. <laughs> What are you doing <laughs> with your blood moons and things like yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, especially if something like Blue-White Stoneblade would be a big problem for the deck, which, to be honest, hasn't really been a big thing up until very recently. But during the last week especially, we saw a lot of Blue-White Stoneblade. And I think we initially w- I want to talk about that uh, later on, but we can also go ahead right to, to this part. If we look at the last couple of events, we saw Tamir 13-13 split the Legacy Finals against uh, the Legacy MCQ Finals against Rich. Or we had Jackson Baum and the top four of the Legacy Classic. We have Philip van Donzalal, I'm so sorry for mispronouncing your name, who won the most recent Legacy Challenge. And two more guys actually put Blue-White Stoneblade into the top eight of the Legacy Challenge. So is this the big comeback of Stoneforge Mystic that was promised? I don't know, but I see a lot and like a big rise of Blue-White Stoneblade right now. And I'm usually hesitant to say, oh yeah, this is this happened because during the previous weeks that happened because legacy isn't that fluid. I mean, online, yeah, to a certain degree, but definitely not on paper. A lot of people don't get to change up their, their decks every week. I guess something like Miracles would easily flow into Blue-White Stormblade. But yeah, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of Blue-White Stormblade right now, and I'm wondering why that is. We were earlier talking about uh, on previous episodes how Tundra has become a much less played dual land and sorts of plowshares isn't that big of a thing, which definitely helps all the depth strategies that we have seen. But yeah, now it seems to be back. How, how do you guys feel about the deck? Because I, I have very strong opinions about blue-white Stormblade decks in general, but how do you guys feel about those decks right now? Uh, I guess maybe it has something to do with mono-red putting up results, so blue-white, because blue, uh, that was another thing I was a little surprised at, that it's like, I think... Was it just one, or was it two recent events on Magic Online that there was one by Blue White? So it was two. So like, it just won the MCQ right, yeah. and the most recent challenge. So yeah, like maybe it was a reaction somewhat to Moonstompy being popular. So I, I definitely buy that. But I, I think I'm in the same camp as Julian. I just don't understand why people play the deck. It just seems really bad to me. I guess people just like playing fair cards with Brainstorm, and sometimes they don't want to play Delver Secrets. And so that's why decks like you know, the Snow deck or Grixis Control or Stoneblade, I think they're always overrepresented for their win rate. They're just, they're the classic 45% deck that quote-unquote grinders slash good players, but I don't I don't even want to call it good players. They're just mediocre players who think they're good. They like to play it because it gives them the illusion of control. You call it the grinders. Yeah, I mean, well, I, I like to, th- like, I'm friends with a lot of grinders and I think they have enough sense not to play these kinds of decks. I think Magic has evolved to a point where in modern Legacy and Vintage, maybe a couple years ago, you were, you were better off playing your cantrips and brainstorms and being fair. But now I think it's evolved to a point where like you want to do something super powerful, just smack your opponent in the face and make sure that they, like, they get crushed by you rather than trying to like match everything lockstep and eke out incremental advantages. Like That's not what Mad- Magic's about anymore. It's more like battle cruisers. What's the battle cruiser of Blue White Stoneblade? I think they don't really have like anything battle cruisery going on. Like if Better Skull is your battle cruiser, that doesn't really seem like a big thing. Like I guess True Nemesis and putting equipment on that. But like you mentioned, 
is this really what legacy is about these days? I don't know. It doesn't feel powerful enough. As much as I despise these kind of mid-range decks, those decks, they like to call themselves control decks, but I think they're much more like mid-range decks. I can see the appeal, especially when it comes to stuff like you often only need two Tundras and you can still play it. And it plays a lot of basics and people really, really love playing basics in Legacy, right? So I guess that's that's why people would also gravitate to, towards that. And yeah, with all the talk about how depth is good, it's also kind of nice to have sorts of plowshares as an answer, even though that sometimes actually is a little bit lackluster in the face of, of safekeepers and stuff. But yeah, it's something that's definitely back and that should be on your radar right now and something that you should try to... I don't even want to say try to beat because this is not a deck that you can actually target with anything because they don't have like anything that sticks out. A lot of, I don't know, six out of ten cards. Okay, it's fine. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not bad. It's also not outstanding. But yeah, if you're a fan of Blue-White Stoneblade, I'm I'm sorry. Let, let us know in the comments what you think about the deck. I, I think it's playable, but like Bob mentioned, it's the most recent results proved me wrong. But I want to say that's the kind of deck you pick up if you... We don't really want to win the tournament. <laughs> after after we just talked about how, <laughs> how how it won the last two big tournaments on Magic Online. I mean, I think maybe Julian, you and I have similar biases, and you know those biases are against these kinds of blue suit mid range decks. And so maybe we need to get someone who's really into those decks to talk about why they're good. Our, our one of our good friends who we had on right after he won GP Niagara Falls, Daniel Gochel. He's an excellent Magic player. He played Blue Light Stone Blade, won the tournament. Uh, he plays a lot of different decks in Legacy, and for whatever reason, like there are certain time periods where he's like, "Yeah, I want to play Blue Light Stone Blade because it's the best ponder deck against Chalice it's decks." The best ponder so deck I agree against with that. Chalice decks. Okay, that's that's an interesting. Take. <laughs> yeah. So if if we're in a meta game where like Chalice is everywhere somehow, then I, I can see it being reasonable. But come on, there's always going to be more Ponder decks than Chalice decks. So <laughs> just find it funny when when you when, when you come into a tournament and you're like, I want to be the best Ponder deck I can be. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I I have a, an idea. I think people play it because because it's fun. Is it really? <laughs> I recently. It is pretty fun. I well, it it leads to fun games of Magic. I played it recently because I went to an LGS which I don't do that frequently. And I meant to bring Grixis Delver and I accidentally grabbed Reanimator and I didn't want to play Reanimator. Uh, so I borrowed Blue-White uh, Stoneblade and the deck felt bad <laughs> to me. I mean, so I borrowed it from somebody who has decks to loan. So it wasn't like optimally build it. You know, it was, they don't tune it weekly or anything like that. So uh, it may not have been optimal, but it felt clunky and bad, but I had some really, really fun interactive games of Magic. I played against Elves, and we had like a crazy match, and it was all three games were really fun. I played against Mono Red Eldrazi, which is you know it's like a Blood Blood Sun deck. So that was that made some interesting games as well. Even though I like we just mentioned, uh, this would probably be the best Ponder deck against Chalice deck. So that was helpful. And then uh, and then the last round I played against. Four color Delver, and I got completely destroyed, and that wasn't very fun. But the first two rounds were like super fun, even though I didn't really like the deck that much. But the deck led to uh, actual games of Magic, interactive, fun yeah. games. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually a really, really good point. I played a lot of Maverick this week and the previous week, and I noticed that my games against Blue White Stoneblade they always last super, super long, and they are super interactive. They are super interesting, and I, from both sides. So it wasn't like me blowing them out and then gr slowly grinding them out. It was like a back and forth, and you were trying to get a leg up yeah. on the other guy and it was so much fun exactly it, actually, it, it actually came down to timing out quite a lot like i've had some game once that took up to 40 minutes 
because once you manage to deal with each other's equipment, it's actually kind of hard. Like eventually they get true name nemesis, but sometimes it can't even attack because you have this big knight that threatens to swing back. So you have to find mother to attack through it, but you, you can't always untap with a mother against them. So it's, it's definitely a deck that makes for a lot of amazing ma- magic. That I, I gotta say that, yes. That, that's definitely true. That's, yeah. I, I can see the appeal of that, for sure. Man, now I actually want to try it. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to make a Jace player out of you yet, Julian. Uh, well, I, I played my fair share of Jace. I, I, I might have mentioned this before, but I once did an analysis of all my sanctioned matches and magic tournaments. And by this time, actually like 10, 15 years, actually my first sanctioned event was 2005. Anyway, so yeah, Legacy, Elves, upfront, like by far. And then Miracles is actually my second most played deck in Legacy set and, and sanctioned tournaments. That makes sense. That deck was so good for so long. But kind of still on, on the Stoneblade topic, like Eric, how do you see Blue-White Stoneblade as being different from like a Stoneblade deck you have liked in the past, which is, you know, decks like Bant Stoneblade, uh, where you, you know, that was a deck with Noble Hierarch and Deathrite Shamans, more acceleration, more of a proactive game plan, I guess. But- oh, that's a really easy question to answer. The biggest problem that I had when I was playing it is I felt like the mana is so awful. I f- I, I, personally, I don't like playing with basics. I feel like I'd much rather be wastelanded so that I can't cast my spells than not be able to cast my spells because I'm playing a bunch of basics in my deck. Double blue, double white spells, and just like, it's really hard to set up and with Snapcaster and things like that. Uh, and the Bant Stoneblade deck had basically pretty close to perfect mana as long as you could like you know, play one of your eight mana dorks. Yeah, that's something I look for as well, which is a deck with good a good mana base. Uh, which, funnily enough, I don't think Depths has a good mana base, which is why sometimes I, I try to look for a different deck. Because you basically, you play 13 green sources, including the Mox Diamonds, and there are some matchups where you really don't want Mox Diamond because the games go long and you just don't want 30 lands in your deck. So that is the one thing I wish I could make better with Depths is... I want more green mana, but I don't want to play extra lands because you're already playing so many. Yeah, so that's yeah, that's the main thing for me is mana bases. I, I tried Snow Control today for the first time, and the same thing. I thought that's kind of what I thought was going to happen going in. It feels like playing these basics in this Astrolabe actually just makes the mana way wonkier. I think that's what Daryl found too. Is he well? He's still playing Astrolabe, but he cut down on the number of basics. He might have. He's he usually plays three to four, which is a, a little bit. It's still a lot, but it's a little bit less than. What a lot of other players do, and what he does is, he doesn't play Prismatic Vista, so he doesn't fetch the basic lands unless he has Astrolabe. When he has Astrolabe, he's like, "Yeah, I'll go ahead and fetch all the basics because the mana is perfect." But then, yeah. uh, in other situations, he'll just fetch dual lands and you know play through Wasteland instead. Cause... And then you, but then you can't play your Astrolabe when you draw it. <laughs> it's true. I mean, like the deck definitely has. Some issues. I mean, you can usually find a fetch line to find a find a basic. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, it was the vista that made the mana feel particularly bad for me. Eventually, we're all gonna arrive at what Thomas Mar is doing in Legacy, and that's no basics, all duels, no astrolabe. Just you have Blood Moon, whatever. I don't care. Then I just lose. But if you don't, then I'm gonna yeah, have the I'm, most I'm powerful deck. I'm on board with deck. that. I don't want any basics in almost any of my decks except for Reanimator because you only need one color usually. <laughs> That guy, I, I can't even say that little guy because I've known him for a couple of years now and he's almost doubled in, in size. N- not horizontally, like vertically. <laughs> 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 Ever since. So he's like almost as tall as I am, I think, when, when previously he was like half as tall as I am. Anyway, that, I still want to say that little guy. He's the living embodiment of greed and legacy. And I think that's so cool. I know you guys know that he's basically the guy that Jack Pyle is named after. And that just like happened because the deck started out as a diver deck. 
And he ad kept adding so much value to his Delver deck, like Sylvan Libraries, Chases, Collagen's Command. Eventually, he just got rid of Delver because he was like, okay, I got like all this power in my hand. And like, I imagine him like flames in his eyes and like lifting his arms like, yes, I want the power. And he literally like cramps every single piece of technology into that deck and plays Wastelands. He would probably even f play five colors if there was anything worth on white to, to splash for. And to me, that's just like so appealing. He's the embodiment of 80s or 90s villain if Legacy was a movie or like a series. If, if this was Yu-Gi-Oh, he would be like the super all-powerful guy that wants the world domin actually yeah, I'm, I'm i'm actually fetishizing this part almost that sounds really weird anyway but yeah I, I like the approach of i want to be really powerful and yes i will lose to certain stuff but if, if you don't have that i will have the best deck and he actually he sometimes he used to have issues i think with getting a little bit salty and i i heard him many times say i have so many good cards how can i lose like i i managed to beat him with miracles at one time couple years ago and that's literally what he told me my cards are also good how can i lose to you <laughs> yeah i don't know just i just wanted to get back to that maybe that's the next evolution for snow because honestly like as much hype this four color snow kind of was it hasn't really put up that great results you see it it's around but it does it never really feels like it's getting to the very top and like eric mentioned um it's struggling with, with its mana sometimes even. Do you think this deck is... Like, it's definitely here to stay, but do you think it's as good as advertised? Definitely not. It definitely has not been putting up the results. Like I said earlier, people just flock to play these fair, blue, ponder, brainstorm decks, and maybe it is because they find it's fun, maybe it's because they think they're better than they are, but for whatever reason, these decks are just overplayed and underperforming. And I, th I think these decks were good for one specific weekend, which was the weekend of the Star City Open in Philadelphia, and it had some very good results to show for. And I think, you know, if the metagame goes more towards Blue-White Stoneblade again, I think it does make a lot of sense to bring out your Colligan's commands to prey on that. But I feel like there are not enough slots in the blue deck sideboards to, to beat all these random combo decks, unless you're playing a more proactive strategy like Delver. So... I'm not a fan of the Jace decks right now, at least as they're currently being constructed. I guess Blue-White Stoneblade is a little bit better than some of the nonsense, because it's really good against the Chalice nonsense, at, at least, but I don't think it's very good against combo. So. Yeah, sorry, I agree completely. And one, I, love, I love having perfect mana with dual lands and fetches and playing super value cards. The only thing about deck building that I disagree there is I like to close out the game. I like to have things that close out the game. So I, I built a, a four-color deck recently that I've been playing a little bit, and the, the main difference is, yeah, there's no Astrolabe, so I have like a ton more slots to put things in my deck. Um, and so I included uh, one thing that I think is super real, and that is Cephalid Coliseum and Narset. I actually think Narset's quite good right now. Um, yeah, it's not that great against Delver, but uh, it's pretty good against everything else. And it gives you game against, against uh, a lot of things that you just generally don't. Um, because you have an I win button, and those decks usually don't. Oh, that's actually really cute. So you would buy back your Colosseum with Red and Six, and then activate it on the opponent's turn to make them discard three cards? Yeah, they actually don't get to cast any more spells if they have less than three cards in their hand. Oh, so you, because you do it on their draw step? So they can only, like, ever cast instants, I guess? No, they can't even. They have to already have it. Like I need once, to tell this to Honorog, because I'm sure he's going to try it. Once you once you do it in their upkeep, so they, they, draw their, they draw three cards, but they only draw one, and then they have to discard three so they don't actually get to cast any spells if you do it in their upkeep not their draw step they don't get to cast any more spells so the game's over <laughs> it's a good way to beat a lot of stuff oh my god 
you know, I don't know how you, Bob mentioned that, right? He, he thought like adding Lonely Sandbar was the next level, but Cephalic Coliseum, that's like literally the game ends unless they, I don't know, have some graveyard interaction or something. It's wild. And I also have Days Undoing. That one I'm not going to say is great, but it's another way to like, okay, you're playing against Dredd, you're never going to beat this matchup, but if you can get Leovold or Narset into play before they have some sort of lethal thing, then you can win by casting Days Undoing. But that one, that one's for fun. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that that's actually super sweet. I wonder if you're going to see more of that because, like, um, we mentioned, Anorak has that stopped playing miracles, which all by itself is kind of like a miracle right now, even though he still plays Terminus. No, he didn't even play term- Terminus this week. I don't know if you guys saw his deck, but it was just an abomination. It played <laughs> a bunch of different planeswalkers. It played three humility to go with Ren and Six, which I respect that. But then he played one car in the Great Creator. And he still had, like, a small wishboard for it. Can you imagine playing one card in the Great Creator? Like, <laughs> in what sounds... world is that possibly correct? <laughs> Honest question. Yeah, is he funny. losing it? I, th- I think he is. I think he, he was telling me in confidence that he's like, Bob, I don't know if I can play Miracles in Atlanta. It's never been this bad. It was kind of not great in Atlanta or in Niagara Falls, but he still managed to do really well with it. But now he's the, other, the, re- the rest of the format has just powered up in Miracles doesn't necessarily have the right tools to keep up with everything. Like, Miracles is the epitome of the of the blue deck that tries to keep up with everything and outvalue you, but it, 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 doesn't really, it doesn't really have good answers for permanence. Like, there's Council Judgment, but it's so clunky. And, yeah, he's definitely been struggling, so that's why he's been trying these weird run-in-six brews. My take on, on Miracles is that it had two major benefits. One, the basics, and back to basics... Like, you can run a bunch of basics and back to basics. So that's one major benefit. And the other one is Terminus. And, and that's, like, your your answer to all the creatures and stuff. But now Renin 6 makes it so that uh, it kind of plays that role of back to basics. Like, you have this mana advantage with Renin 6. And and it also kills things. And you have Plague Engineer. So you have, between Renin 6 and Plague Engineer, you fill both of those roles. And you get to play all these black cards. So, yeah, that's my take, why people are not playing Miracles. Yeah, so... To me, like miracles, almost like it's kind of funny how we are talking about that miracles is being overpowered, like how it's not powerful enough. Because like a couple of years ago, miracles was like one of the most powerful decks in the history of Legacy, and that's still probably one of the most dominant periods of Legacy at all. But right now, it almost like strikes me as as this retired sports star who still like hangs around and tries to be relevant, uh, but it's just, like they're not cutting it anymore. They're like 35, 36 years old. And, and they try to hang with the young boys, but that they don't have, like have the tactics and the, the speed, and, and it's a disgrace. They should have retired like two years ago. That's what Virgus looks like right now. Ouch! <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I I don't even hate the deck. I was in Stop Us Band. I actually in my head I have like the good side and the bad side, like the good and the evil side of Legacy. And ever since Top was banned, Miracles went straight into the good side and was like one of the good guys. But now it, it needs a lot of help, and we can't always send enough help to it. And yeah, so now people are dropping it, and they're not wearing their, their Miracles jerseys anymore. They're wearing, like, their snow color jerseys, and it's like, yeah. And Miracles keeps talking about how great it once was, and people still play it. And <laughs> I'm sorry, Miracles. You you will definitely be back, I guess. Terminus is still one hell of a card, but not right now. But is it? Is it? it it's, it's like a Plague Engineer that you have to, like, set up. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, yeah. It's kind of, kind of funny, like, mid-range random creature stuff isn't as relevant anymore so like terminus doesn't like if you terminus a marit large that's like i guess it's fine that you manage to deal with marit large but usually like you mentioned it also requires a lot of setup so it's i don't know (laughs) 
doesn't strike me as that great. Yeah. Well, I mean, the deal with tournaments, like I was saying, is you have this one mana sweeper that can deal with, like, four creatures at once, which is, like, a big deal. But now with, with Renin 6, I mean, if you kill one Delver, they're not playing any more Delvers until they deal with your Renin 6. If you, and then it deals, and then, like, Plague Engineer deals with True Name Nemesis, so you don't really need Terminus. You know which deck Terminus is actually really good against? It's one of the decks that 11 episodes ago Bob actually predicted to maybe be really good in Legacy uh, since it got a new printing. And Bob, do you know which deck I'm talking about? Slivers, baby. Let's go. <laughs> I think you might have actually called it the best tribal deck in Legacy right now, which I would be offended hey, it's, by. It's actually putting up results still because it doesn't care about Renin 6. And it like obviously you care about Plague Engineer, but like you have so many lords that you just play through it. Yeah, the, I'm going to play it. This list that, that was posted that finished in the... Um, I think it finished in the top something of the Legacy MCQ. It finished high enough to be posted, so at least top 32, which, given how big the MCQ was, is actually quite important. So one card that definitely improved the deck a lot is Cloud Shredder Server uh-huh. for a red and a white, a 1-1, one, one, and all slivers you control have flying and haste. It's like, we have Gale Rider Sliver for one blue, which gives haste, um, but now we have Cloud Shredder Sliver, which not only has fly, uh, haste, Anyway, <laughs> totally messed that one up. Gale Rider's Liver gives you flying, and this one gives you flying and haste. So this deck is really super power turbocharged. It also plays eight lords plus two phantasmal image. So yeah, Plague Engineer, they fly over that, and they also have enough lords to often just easily overcome that. And thanks to Crystalline's Liver, those lords also can't really be touched. So Well, this list is like especially crazy because it's playing a few cards that the regular lists don't play. So that's Force of Will, which is normal, but it also it's playing Swords of the Plowshares and Standstill. So this player is like actually playing a fair game, which I think is interesting. I think the one of the draws of Slivers is that you can never ever race it if you're playing a fair deck almost. Like you can't ever target their creatures usually, and then they just their creatures are bigger and faster than yours. So that was the main draw of Slivers to me. And then in re- return, you kind of gave up your combo matchup. So like, I would like to see more cards good against combo. So perhaps something like Force of Negation would make more sense. I don't know. Merfolk has adopted that. Like A lot of Merfolk decks play up to like eight forces now, which I think is interesting. But I, I don't love this build of Slivers. I think I would try to more go in a anti-combo direction. But Standstill is kind of interesting. Yeah, they, they have like three one-off slots. Uh, Force Spike, Spare Pierce, and Stubborn Denial. And I think you could streamline that a little bit more, especially stop on denial doesn't feel that great because you need three. Uh, no, you need yeah three lots to get a four power creature. That that seems. But it's a force spike. It is a force spike without it, right? Well, kinda, not really. Okay, but... yeah. Well... <laughs> <laughs> I actually thought you were saying I when you had this in the show notes. I thought you were this was Bob's deck, and I was going to be like, Bob, why are you playing? Uh, those spells that you just mentioned in standstill. <laughs> yeah, that's a, you know this is a secret identity of of Bob, of Sliver Bob. That that didn't people call Sliver you Bob? <laughs> I just noticed I called you Bok Wang in the in the show notes. But anyway, didn't people call you Katana Bob? <laughs> oh yes, Sliver uh, Bob. I have many many nicknames. Yeah, Special Bob, <laughs> Katana Bob, Champion of Hearts. Champion of Hearts. Okay, that sounds like a kind of awkward. Anyway. But yeah, this the sliver list. I think, like you mentioned, it probably needs some streamlining. Also, the mana base looks a bit all over the place. <laughs> but yeah, I would not play basic lands and slivers. I think you're just you're just gonna accept that you're gonna lose the blood moon and then just freaking uh, crush people. He's only playing two cavern of souls, and that's like the other benefit of playing these tribal decks. So I would build it a lot more like humans, but it just goes way bigger than humans. And in in return, you get a much worse combo matchup, but then you get much more better against the fair decks. 
Uh, I also don't think Slivers is bad against Miracles because you have access to the Hibernation Sliver, which basically you return all your Slivers to your hand and then cast them again, uncounterable. So Terminus is just like a speed bump. I wonder whether the choice of two caverns is because they are also playing like Sots of Plowshares, Stubbornly Nice, by Pierce and, uh, and Force Spike. No, I'm sure it is. I'm, and I'm saying those cards are not really worth playing if yeah. you're playing Slivers because you're already ahead against the Fair decks. Yeah, definitely makes sense. Um, may, like you mentioned, maybe Force of Negation. I don't know if they have a high enough blue count for that. Uh, you got Crystalline well, They're playing Sliver. Force of Will, so they can play Force of Negation. Yeah, true. It's only going to make it better, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So... That's something, the deck is more legit than people give it credit for. Obviously, it's probably not going to be tier one, um, but maybe we, we are even wrong on that, and it's, it's secretly the best deck. But I actually, I would love to see more of that. Of course, it's like kind of, I guess the slivers aren't really that expensive, are they? I was going to say that it's like hard to buy into the deck, but all the cards that actually cost actual cash in, in the deck you can use for other card, other decks. So mm -hmm. maybe maybe we should like try to spike slivers and, and become rich of slivers. It's like <laughs> Can uh, we find room for one of those five mana slivers? There's a bunch we could choose from. Oh my god, like the rainbow ones? I like, yeah, no, I like the one that does cascade. <laughs> <laughs> that was yeah, actually like, really expensive. Your other slivers right? are cheap. Oh, I mean, no, no, we're not spiking. I just want to add it to the deck. <laughs> but why? <laughs> you imagine your. Because all your yeah. slivers get cascade. I don't know. Never mind. <laughs> imagine your Elamite goes to five and, and the look in your opponent's face when you put Sliver Queen into play. <laughs> Wait, does Cascade, would that stack? Say you play a five mana Sliver and then you hit a four mana Sliver. Does a four mana Sliver also have Cascade? Because you're casting it. You're casting so it. So then does so it Cascade it again? It should, right? Actually, let me look that up. This is important. This is really important because then that, we, that means we have to put more four mana slivers and three mana slivers, not just two and one. <laughs> so you can Wild. hit your entire deck. But then, then well, you so can't. That means yeah. if you cast a five mana sliver, you automatically get a four, three, two, and a one. That's insane. Yeah, but only only if you don't play other wilds and stuff. No, also because you can hit a two first and then you. Oh, yeah, and then. then and so, yeah, the card is called <laughs> oh, the first true. sliver. <laughs> and sliver spells you cast have cascade. And the card itself has also Cascade. So yeah, yeah, they have Cascade, so you cast them off the Cascade, and then you Cascade again. It doesn't work with Aether Vial, though, which is a huge bummer. All right, we're cutting Aether Vial. <laughs> All right, let's add more lands. <laughs> in speaking of cutting Aether Vial, um, a deck that came 12th in the Legacy MCQ is one of the most... Like, if you've been around Legacy, you've known about this deck. I want to call it one of the most controversial decks in Legacy that has created some of the most vile and intense discussion on on the source, which I guess at this point you actually got to mention how this is a legacy forum, um, the legacy forum, the most legendary legacy forum that's still used, but not as much anymore. But anyway, so I don't even know what to say. The, the original name of that deck was called nogoif.deck because back in 2008 when the deck was created, it was just kind of special thing to play a creature deck without Goif. Um, a more descriptive name of it would be blue-white tempo, and boy, does this deck look crazy. Uh, first, of all, first of all, it plays three other wilds. So it's a blue-white mid-range <laughs> creature deck, and it plays three other wilds. That was the first thing I noticed. I was like, what? You, need, you really needed to make room for the uh, the one Sarah Avenger or or the one, or <laughs> I don't know. Or the second copy of Fibbletip the Lost. I don't even know how yes. to pronounce that. The, the second Fibbletip. I love it. It's great. I think it's hilarious. And I think I need to mention what the card actually does because I, I, I guess less than 5% of our listeners would know that. So it's a legendary 1-1 creature for a colorless and a blue. And when Fibbletip the Lost enters the battlefield, draw a card. So it's basically like average visionary. But if it entered from your library or was cast from your library, draw two cards instead. 
spoiler, that never comes up in this deck, as far as I'm aware. <laughs> <laughs> so it's literally... I had never realized that that line was there. <laughs> yeah. And when it becomes the target of a spell, it's shuffled back into its owner's library. So it literally is a legendary elfish visionary. And when I first saw that, and I saw they were playing two, I was like, why? Why? What's the point? And apparently, and that's the only thing I can make out from the list, it's a draw engine with Karakas. <laughs> I mean, we're laughing about that thing now, but they finished 12th in, in the giant legacy MCQ. So, <laughs> to me, that's kind of crazy. I mean, this is why, this is like one of my frustrations with leagues is like I was saying earlier, like 20, 20 to 25% of my matches don't matter because I will never play against this deck in a real tournament and I'm just kind of wasting my time. I mean, yeah, I'm saying that now and then I'm going to face Pirate Stompy in Atlanta, so bring it on. I mean, this deck wins because it has four true name nemesis and three equipments. So that's probably the other stuff is. I mean, it's all it's funny, it's great, but I don't think it's like the best way you could build a day's true name deck. Yeah, it plays one knight of the white orchid, which is white white, and when it comes into play and you have fewer lands than your opponent, then I think you get to put a planes from your deck into play or something. Ooh, planes, so powerful. I guess it can also fetch Tundra, I'm pretty sure it can, because there's only one planes in the deck that would be, like, weird. Yeah, it can. <laughs> and, yeah, and then there's Weathered Wayfarer, which is kind of, like, the reason you want to play the deck, even though it's secretly True Name Nemesis plus, plus equipment, I guess. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, Weathered Wayfarer, a of white um, for, I think, a 1-1 creature, and you can activate it for a white mana and tap it and search your deck for any land and put that, I think, into your hand if you have fewer lands than your opponent. I and, think the Elvish are yeah. I think they should just... I mean... This reminds me a lot of Bant, but with, like, Aether Vial. Uh, and then, yeah, Weathered Wayfarer. I, I actually tried a long time ago putting Aether Vials in a Bant. Like, this, I mean, this, is, this idea makes a lot of sense to me. It's just the numbers are really funny. Yeah, what if I told you that the original deck um, actually played two Aether Vials? You know, that kind of makes sense to me, too, because when I tested the <laughs> Aether Vials, it, it wasn't a good Aether Vial deck. Because you're, play, you're playing brainstorm and stuff like that instead of just a bunch of creatures <laughs> it's funny you sound just like forbidden and, and p4 meter for the one when when they talked about that deck like over 10 years ago <laughs> that's funny i know i try i tried building something similar i had never seen this thread but i tried building something similar to this because i was because the note because noble hierarch and death shaman were so good and ban i was like why don't we just try aether vial and it just wasn't good <laughs> so if you're looking for inspiration like cards they played back in the deck were, were Jotun grant and apocra side which is like isn't even like good anymore and and also vexing sphinx and vexing sphinx is like super interesting actually if you think of well if you don't have to think about it but um uh, it's a it's a 4-4 flyer for a colorless a blue and a blue and it has cumulative upkeep discard a card so you first like discard one card then you discard two cards so you end, end up discarding a lot of cards and once it dies you um draw a card for each, I think it's called age or time counter on it, and so basically you get all those cards back that you initially discarded. And that's interesting, and like the reason they initially put that into the deck was that you can recycle bad cards later on, something like Otherwhile, and eventually they ended up going down to two anyway, or like, I don't know, stuff that you don't need. But what's interesting about the card, and I, I'm not sure if this is still the case, but it definitely was like one and a half years ago on Magic Online, the card was insanely bugged. So it added those time counters, but it didn't make you discard. <laughs> so eventually, like it was a 4-4 four, four flyer for three mana on Magic Online, and when it died, you drew a card for every turn you kept it alive. It was like absolutely overpowered, and yeah, if, if I guess that would be a good way to get yourself banned from Magic Online. 
even though it would be like kind of weird, I guess, if you if you just feel like, hey, this card is good enough, let's play it. And I guess you wouldn't be banned right away. But if you if you kept grinding out leaks using their cards, eventually somebody would catch on to it. <laughs> so yeah, um, lots of things going on in Legacy. Um, the last deck I want to talk about right now is uh, the deck that I guess Rodrigo Togores popularized, and that's the Maverick Dark Depth deck. And this deck is interesting because I don't even know how to describe it. I, I first wanted to call it like a four-color loam deck without loam and two of its colors. Uh, but that didn't really seem right because it doesn't really have like all those grindy cards or planeswalkers. But I also don't really want to call it like a Maverick deck. Uh, don't really want to call it a depth deck. So for it's just it's just green white depths or Maverick depth. Yeah, it's Maverick depth, and it's also really good against Plague Engineer, unlike Maverick because it plays four Giver of Runes over Mother of Runes, and also Elfish Reclaimer. Um, so I think the main I think thing it looks about great. Yeah, it looks great, right? The main thing about the deck is that it plays for Knight of the Reliquary, which is like another engine that you can utilize in a deck that can also sometimes close out the games on its own. Uh, yeah. That's why I think it looks great, because you have... It basically looks like a Dark Depths deck. Like, it has most of what you need to be a Dark Depths deck because of the printing of Elvish Reclaimer. You're not losing much by cutting any of the things that they've cut for this. And you get to be a Maverick deck with the Giver of Runes and Knight of the Reliquary. I mean that's the core of the of the Maverick part of it at least, and that can still just win the game, and it's fine with the Dark Depths combo because you can actually use it to do that. But that's like probably secondary. Yeah, I actually have opposite feelings about the deck. I feel like I would not play this deck. I guess I need to give it a shot before I really shut it down. But I did I did try a similar Matsalay deck. It didn't have as much of the white focus, but it did have you know a bunch of Knight of the Reliquaries. And what I found was the black cards were just so important and just much more powerful. Like Vampire Hexmage, it kills uh, Planeswalkers, it resets Chalice, and it lets you combo on turn like two. Whereas you just you just lack a lot of that power. Also, you don't play the discard spells, which give you a lot of game against combo. So I think game one, this deck is pretty horrible against combo. And post board, you know, you can win with you know Thalias and Gaddictiques perhaps. Uh, I see Rodrigo's not really playing those cards. He's playing, like, Bale of Summer instead, which I guess is good against Ants. I mean, I think there is potential in this kind of shell, but I think it's significantly weaker than the Urborg shells, which are just much more streamlined towards just discard, do the combo, whereas these decks are, like, a little bit more, like... I Like, I saw people play it at the Classic, and some of them were hovering near their top tables. I mean, I just... I'm skeptical that this will be, like, the next evolution of Depths. I think it is a little bit ahead in the mirror because of Knight of the Reliquary, but I think it's significantly weaker against oh, I think it's... just the, the whole field because like you don't have the Thoughtseize into Hexmage like I win. I think it's got a massive advantage in the mirror, but I, I could be wrong. I th But yeah, I do see that it, it seems to have a pretty big hole for combo, but I mean, the Maverick and Depths, I think, have fairly big holes for combo. Maybe not as big as this one, but because it doesn't, this one doesn't have Thalia, so... Yeah, it definitely yeah. felt like um, the mirror are, are like on a grander scheme that the depth mirror is why this deck would be something you want to play. It also makes really good mm -hmm. use of Elfish Reclaimer together with Knight of Reliquary. So I can see this deck actually like winning many games on, on a regular beatdown path and always threatening the combo. And you're just going to win in yeah, the like combo because you have Giver of Ruins and you have uh, Tomic. You're going to be able to do the combo a lot. A lot safer than than the other depth decks in a mirror. 
Yeah, it also has a lot of magnets for your opponent's spot removal. Like they definitely want to. They they kind of have to take out give off runes. They also want to take out knight. Um, I guess depending on how the match goes, you also want to take out reclaimer uh, with your spot remover spells, and then deck depth just gets there. I guess I kind of like the deck. I'm not sure whether I love for crop rotation. I can't really put a name on it. It just doesn't feel like a crop rotation deck to me. I, I just want to add more mid range stuff. And maybe even remove the Dark Depth combo and play straight up Green White Maverick. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> but yeah, I would also lo- love to play and try the deck out. I think Charvis is streaming it tonight. Um, maybe I can. Like, catch I haven't it actually played it. I just I'm just looking at it here on paper, and I wrote a little bit about it for my article this week too. But yeah, yeah, where does that come out? Where can people see that tonight on uh, MTG Goldfish on Tuesday nights? So you're writing. Uh, is, it, is it actually weekly or is it like bi-weekly? It's weekly. I took like one week off so far because I I didn't have anything to write about. Uh, ah, okay, yeah, okay. It's it's almost every week, guys. We we I think we're gonna close it out here. We have one more listener question from tonight from Pair of Slacks, and Pair of Slacks was wondering they're like kind of new to Legacy and they they have they're struggling with um when to move on from an archetype. Like if you're playing a deck, and I think that's something that actually recently ha- happened to me with Elves. When do you know that maybe you should try something new? And like to answer that from my end, I think it's you can go about it like analytically, strategically, and and like track your win rate and see it's going down and and figure out okay, um, at this point I maybe want to do something about that. But I don't really do that. Like I used to track my win rate and stuff, but it's it's getting hard. Like time wise, so to me it was just like a feeling of when I. Decided not to play F's and I'm kind of Frankfurt. I played it in the trials and I think I actually I won the I won a buy in one of the trials, but the next trial was just like so horrible when I played against five color snow and it felt so bad because I couldn't punish that. It's it's a feeling to me at least. And if like if that feeling comes up like at, at a tournament or two, like I've certainly had like spells with elves where I felt like oh my god, I uh, the, I mean I played it almost through the entire top miracles era, so that says something. But if you if you constantly find yourself thinking or sighing and going like, oh shit, not this again. I think that's a point where you could consider moving on. If moving on is even an option, like not everybody like can pick a deck and just play that. Um, but if moving on is an option, sometimes it, it's also good to to clear your head to play something else. Like I, I don't consider, like people talked about that on Reddit and I was quite surprised, but I'm very far from considering myself retired from elves, for example. But right now I feel like I... I want to see other people. <laughs> no, um, I just, I just wow. want to try something else. This Did is the saddest break breakup of all time. No, podcast? we are on a break. Not, not, not on a breakup. You, you see what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's how the breakup begins, though. Is you take a break. I actually wonder how many how many like breaks actually lead to breakups. Must be like 90 percent. I don't know. <laughs> Well, well, we'll find out in a year if if you're this break. But you're you're still having like fun every now uh, and then, and then I go back to Maverick, <laughs> and I feel like yeah, <laughs> you understand me much better right now. Wow, that is too deep. Uh, back to the listener question though, because I think it is a it is a very good question. So to me, what I think you need to ask yourself is why am I playing Legacy? Because I think ultimately Legacy. I guess I'll call it a casual competitive format. It can be casual. It can be competitive. I think it's a little bit more casual then it is competitive, but it can be both things. And if you are in it for the more casual reason, then I think you needed to figure out what you enjoy the most and just, you know, make all your decisions to maximize that. 
Whereas if you are on the competitive side, then you want to figure out, hey, if this archetype is not good, I mean, then there there's more factors that come into play, like Julian said, like budget and what you can afford and learn to play. Like a lot of times people, you know, they have families, they don't have that much time to play. So oftentimes that's why you'll see a lot of legacy players are older and they stick to one or two decks. And it's kind of tough for them because Legacy's just gone through so many changes in the past year that, like, I could see a lot of people in most years, like, you come back to Legacy and you probably spend $50 or $100 and then you have, like, an up-to-date deck again. And this time around, it's it's just so completely different. And the rules of engagement are different, too. So I, I think it's definitely t- tougher for the casual player to keep up now. Um, but I think if you're, you know, just trying to be the spikiest as possible and you can play every deck, then I think it, it might make some sense to, you know, keep track of all your stats and records and then think about how, as the meta evolves, like, why your deck might be good or bad. But again, I think I'm in the minority because I, I do that, but I think not everybody does that. I agree with both of you for the most part, uh, but mostly Julian about, about I, I mean, personally, I don't think I need to to track um, to track my win rate to have a feeling about how well my deck is performing. I have tracked in the past and I never see anything surprising. It's always almost exactly what I think it will be. So I don't track ever anymore. And uh, But there have been times where I feel like my deck is not performing how it should or how it had do and then i just try and identify the reason for that and i and i will try to tune out that problem and tune in a new answer to the thing that is making my deck perform uh more weak than it had and if that doesn't work then it's time to hang up the deck and go find something else <laughs> have you done that before have you actually like completely retired a deck that you had been having Bant. success with Band Stoneblade? Band Stoneblade. Yeah. I had success with that. for. I, I played that. Now, Reanimator is about as long, but I played that deck almost exclusively for like two years with quite a lot of success, um, both on Magic Online and the few paper events that I played. Um, for example, the first MKM I went to, you top-aided, and I did not, but I didn't have a buy, and you did, and we had the same record. So anyway. Was it Frankfurt 2017? <laughs> Yeah. I had two buys, I think. This is <laughs> was, not fair. That was crazy. I went X and 2 and I still top 8 it. Uh, but yeah, I and entire... I went X and 2 with no buys. It's not fair. <laughs> I wrote an entire article about how it didn't make sense that I top 8 at that event. Like, I was about to leave for dinner when they called my name for 8th place. So I was like, what? <laughs> but yeah, that I mean, Bant Stoneblade treated me really well. And then I... Uh, basically what happened was the Delver players figured out how to play against it and realized I, uh, that I was not on Infect. And so one of the biggest benefits of that deck was people thought you were on Infect, so they played against you wrong. Uh, once they figured out how to approach the deck, I, I found I could barely beat Delver ever. So uh, that was the number one deck in the format, so I had to stop playing Bant. Did you, like you mentioned, try to fix that, that issue? And did you even like try more radical stuff before you, you hung up the deck? Yeah, no, I... T- I I tried all kinds of crazy stuff with that deck. I mean, I got to the point where it was like playable. I was playing four Leovolds. That was pretty good. But the the problem with the deck wasn't couldn't really be fixed other than like putting in a Tomrogoyf or two. But they they didn't really fix the problem. The problem was uh, they 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 attack your mana and you lose because you have so many three drops in your deck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess the time where you actually like would fix stuff by adding Tomrogoyf that was like over a decade ago. Where like literally yeah. every deck, including the tribal decks, uh, even spl- like there was times when when Merfolk splashed green to play Tarmogoyf, just to give you an idea. <laughs> yeah, 
Hmm. But yeah, I think we're we're kind of agreeing. Like you, you should try. You should definitely try. But once you figured out that you don't enjoy playing the deck anymore, and that of course depends on whether you're in for for like the gameplay or like winning. And usually, it's a combination of both. Like almost nobody is playing Legacy just to win, or I guess a lot of people are still playing it just for like because they enjoy a different kind of style. So people would play a deck like Goblins, for example, that's coming up. Uh, I see a lot of goblins, and I, I just like have such a hard time seeing why you would play that. And I hope, um, pair of slacks, you didn't ask your question with regards to specifically goblins. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, well, hey, Bob said if you enjoy it, play it, and he's got a very good point there. And a lot of the goblins players, despite having polarizing matchups, like to play goblins. <laughs> You know what? Next time we come together in two weeks, Goblins will have won a Legacy Challenge or something. I'm calling it. I mean, um, we didn't get to talk about that, but also Merfolk finished second in the last Legacy Challenge, and that's a deck we haven't seen in a long while. And I've always been of the opinion that Merfolk is actually much better than people think it is. Um, But yeah, that's a topic for a future podcast, I would say. If you guys want to support this podcast, uh, you can check it out on itsjulian.com. We are also on Twitter, at EternalMTG took only like a couple years, I almost want to say, until we were able to reclaim that, that Twitter account. Or if you want to support us monetarily and allow us to run the show and eventually also like get better mics for our co-hosts um, because they have such lovely voices and you should get even more access to, to their amazing voices, <laughs> you can head to patreon.com slash everydaychannel where you can sub- subscribe on different tiers. Like, for example, our new Patreon, Jeremy, who subscribed on our Grizzlebrand tier. But also our other Patreons like Matt and James on the Eternal Witness tier, as well as Bachu, Scott, and Kurosh, who have been supporting us for, for a long time by now. So that's something that you can do. It also helps us if you leave a review, for example, on iTunes. And apparently you can't review on Spotify. <laughs> I remember like for many episodes, I was like asking people to, to leave a review on Spotify until several people approached me and told me, Hey, Julian, you, you actually you can't leave a review on Spotify. So... <laughs> I'm sorry if you tried to to find that. Uh, apparently, it's not a thing. But yeah, um, on on iTunes, it very much is. It helps us to show up better in search results, so more people get access to this, so more people listen to this. So legacy as a whole like gets more reach. So if that's something that you can do to help us out, and guys, if people want to find you, where where can people find you on Twitch, on Twitter, on LinkedIn? I don't know. So I'm on Twitter at Grizzlepuff. And I might start streaming more soon. I actually just bought a nice new gaming laptop. So I'm still, you know, settling in and figuring that part out. But uh, hopefully, you know, in the next month or so. And Eric, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at EWLandon1, the number one. And you can find me on Twitch at EWLandon. Awesome. So that's going to be it for us. Um, If you want to find me on Twitter, I'm at itschudian 23 and on Twitch, I'm twitch.tv slash it's Julian. Thanks so much for coming on, guys. And I'm going to head straight to bed. Uh, you're pr- going to be probably like, Eric, what are you going to do? Are you going to stream again? No, you just finished your stream. I right? have to finish that league of oops. All- no, it's like it's getting to be <laughs> evening time, but eventually I got to finish it because I borrowed the cards. <laughs> isn't that going to be depressing if you like finish oops, all spells? All I'm on not your looking own? forward to it. Yeah, I know. I mean, it takes you like five minutes to play a match, so it can't it's be so that depressing bad. losing to one spell over and over and over again. <laughs> Isn't it one of those things that, that are like more fun when people are watching you doing it? I don't know. <laughs> I, I I would be like upset watching you, and I was upset watching you. I was like, why do people watch this? 
and you made the point that like 50 people it's turned out as soon as you started you, you playing. Know, to yeah, me, it was actually I lost like, like at least 50 viewers when I started playing. <laughs> to me, it was entertaining on a meta level. Like, I, it was entertaining to me to listen to Bob being upset about you playing the deck. Or actually, Bob was like upset about that there's people watching you play the deck, and I was being entertained by Bob being upset about those people watching. So it's like, whoa, <laughs> it's going pretty deep. I mean, it's kind of like Twitch plays Pokemon, but like way less interesting because it's just you playing this simulation. <laughs> <laughs> I did it for you guys because I thought I only had like a half an hour left, but I, I had the time wrong. Anyway, yeah, time, time zones are weird, but we, we managed to figure it out. So uh, with this, we're going to call it a show. And we see all of you again next time in two weeks. Until then, bye-bye. Thank you so much.